Hello and welcome to Akathisia Stories, a new podcast that is a co-production of MIST and Chicago's Studio C. MIST, the medication-induced suicide prevention and education foundation in memory of Stuart Dolan, is a unique nonprofit organization dedicated to honoring the memory of Stuart and other victims of akathisia by raising awareness and educating the public about the dangers of akathisia. MIST aims to ensure that people suffering from akathisia's symptoms are accurately diagnosed so that needless deaths are prevented. The foundation advocates truth and disclosure, honesty in reporting, and legitimate drug trials. On this inaugural episode, we hear from MIST founder, Wendy Dolan. She founded the organization after her husband, Stuart, took his life in the summer of 2010. Six days before he died on July 15th, he started the generic version of Paxil called Paroxetine. And almost from the time he started it, you know, going backwards in time, there were so many strange things that occurred that week. And I remember... The night before he died, he was tapping his knee at dinner and going, I don't get it when I still feel so anxious. We'll have the full interview in a moment. First, though, this sound from a video produced and published by the Mist Foundation in late 2018. Akathisia is an intense inner restlessness brought on as a side effect of medication. As many as 5% of patients taking some medications can suffer from symptoms so severe that it sometimes drives them to violence, self-harm, and suicide. Akathisia typically occurs when a medication is started, stopped, or changed in dosage or type. It is during these changes that it's critical for others to watch for symptoms of akathisia. But as a first responder, medical professional, family member or friend, how can you identify symptoms of akathisia in a patient or loved one? Visible symptoms to watch out for include rocking back and forth, pacing, marching in place, inability to be still, shifting weight, unusual or violent behavior, Less visible symptoms can include an increase in insomnia, anxiety and agitation, irritability, impulsivity, aggressiveness, hostility, and panic attacks. Wendy Dolan is an internationally recognized health and safety advocate and licensed clinical social worker with a private practice in the Chicago area. She lives in Chicago and has two adult children. We'll now hear from Wendy in the first of two interviews we recently recorded. MIST is the medication-induced suicide prevention and education foundation in memory of Stuart Dolan. Several questions come from the name alone. Can we start with medication-induced suicide and the related but not widely known term, akathisia? Yes, thank you. Um, Medications can be life-altering and so important for so many people, but there are many medications, many classes of medications that can give a person suicidal thoughts. In many ways, it's not a traditional suicide. We often refer to it as an adverse drug side effect. 
And the thing about akathisia that's significant is it gives the sufferer suicidal thoughts. These are not people who wanted to end their life necessarily, but want to end the reaction. Many words have been used to describe this. I feel my brain is on fire. I feel there's worms crawling all over me. And a very famous scientist who actually worked for Pfizer said, death can be a welcome result. And the word akathisia means motion. It's an old term, a Greek term, and it's been around for a long time, but people never really named it. People will say, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to a loved one. But there was never a name. If there was a typical case, what's the time involved where someone is suffering uh, from that? Um, it can happen pretty rapidly. Yeah. Um, the mission of MIST states that when you stop, start, or change the dosage of any medication, you need to be aware that could be there could be a change. In Stewart's case, it happened six days after he started the medication. Other cases, it can be a month. But to be aware and to be in tuned with your body. My main point for people is this. If the reason you're taking the med, whatever it may be, and instead of feeling better, you start to feel worse, I think that you need to talk to your doctor or prescribing you know, doc and say, hey, I'm feeling terrible. And the organization is named in honor and in memory of Stuart Dolan. Uh, please tell us who he was and what his story was. Um, he was a very wonderful husband. I mean, we were high school sweethearts. We met in 1968. We were together 42 years when he passed away. Unbelievable father, very well-respected attorney, loads of friends, tons of outside interests. He was an avid skier. He liked to, you know, you know, bike. And in I in 2010, I'd say June-ish, he was starting to experience some stress at work. Mm -hmm. And actually, at my suggestion, I said, why don't you talk to the doctor about getting on a medication? And he did. And so um, six days before he died on July 15th, he started the generic version of Paxil called paroxetine. And almost from the time he started it, you know, going backwards in time, there were so many strange things that occurred that week. And I remember the night before he died, he was tapping his knee at dinner and going, I don't get it when I still feel so anxious. But he was a very proactive guy and was doing exercising and he meditated. And then the very next day, he got up from his desk after having a lunch meeting with a client where he had a salad with a dressing on the side and made a future date for two weeks, got up from his desk, walked to a train that he never would have taken. It was actually headed to O'Hare Airport and ended his life. I mean, no history of mental illness, no zero debt. We, you know, both kids were well launched and on their own, and it was just a great time in our life. But he had some stress at work, just like many people do. And um, 
after researching this, actually it wasn't me, I was in a state of shock, friends discovered the word akathisia. And once I read about it and did some research, it was like one of those moments where you know you just can't go back, that this has to be your mission for education. Yeah. But a superior guy, well-loved. In fact, his law firm, um, Reed Smith, um, gave him a tremendous honor. There's something called the Studolin Leadership Award, and it goes on in perpetuity for the team that best represents mm. his style of leadership. So he was you know, a well-regarded partner, client, friend. I mean, our life was pretty golden. Yeah. And in his case... He was going on the SSRI for the first time. It wasn't, it wasn't an adjustment. No, it was starting. In his case, it was starting a drug. And are those cases fairly common? Yes. We hear a lot about uh, actually the whole mission. I mean, we hear we get tremendous write, write-ins about people who started a drug or people who were trying to taper off a medication, mm -hmm. or they were changing the dosage. I mean, I have to say, they're pretty equal in the stories that we hear regarding akathisia. And once your friends had looked into this and made you aware of akathisia, were you basically persuaded from that point on that this was the cause of your husband's death? Yes. I remember I, a, a friend of mine who really got this going, um, unbeknownst to me, she was doing her research. And I remember about a month after Stuart died, walking my dog, and she said to me, akathisia. And I, and I was like, well, you know, what is this? And I am a social worker by right. profession. I had never heard of it. And I got home that night, and I googled Paxil, akathisia, and suicide. And there was this wealth of information. Mm -hmm. And when I read the symptoms and signs, and Stuart had been exhibiting so many of them, I just was in shock. And I realized that, if, you know, I guess it's if this could happen to Stuart, and I say this all the time when I speak, this could happen to anyone, and it became my life's mission. You say that many different classes of medications can cause akathisia from antibiotics to antidepressants. Uh, can you elaborate uh, on this? I think that we've just heard um, many of these drugs, the mood stabilizers, the antipsychotics, SSRIs, and then people like one of our board members, a newer board member, in her case, her father, again, very similar to Stuart, no history of mental illness, you know, great relationships. Um, he had been prescribed prednisone for some back pain, mm. and then he was given Soma which is a muscle relaxant. And I think when he was coming off the prednisone and starting the soma, he became echophagic and he killed himself. And, you know, then you hear from the, um, lot, when I speak a lot with military families, they talk about Neurotin, the pain med or, or the malaria drugs. Um, so I, you know, I can go on and on, but there's just been, a litany of, a laundry list, I should say, of medications that can have this side effect. Yeah. And MIST as an organization is not anti-drug. And we live in a country where in 2016, for example, some 325 million prescriptions for antidepressants were filled, including 15 million for Paxil and Paroxetine. 
Uh, that according to IMS Health, a healthcare information company. These drugs are ubiquitous and many people are convinced that they need them to live and in many cases for good reason. What have you found to be the best way to approach these delicate issues and what best practices do you advocate for those taking antidepressants? I noticed, for example, that MIST supports the practice of tapering and close monitoring during the strenuous process of getting off these SSRIs. Um, thanks. I, that's a, always a great question. Um, the reason that MIST is not anti-drug is we are well aware of the fact that lots of people have been helped by these medications. And I think because we don't operate a scare campaign and are not trying to ban medications, I think it's just awareness. I mean, I think the way we address this anti-drug is if you're getting signs or symptoms, talk to the prescribing doc. If you feel that you are really not acting yourself or or I we say go to the ER, you know, call 911. We also advocate the buddy system that if you are stopping or starting or change the dosage of a medication, let somebody no. Um, so our protocol is actually the director of MIST came up with a wonderful analogy that makes so much sense to me is we tell people look both ways when you cross the street because there's the risk you could be hit by a car, but you still cross the street. You just have awareness. So all we are saying to the public is just be aware. If you are starting to act differently, then I think that this is a conversation you need to have with your doc. And it's just to us awareness. Yeah. So the New York Times said that akathisia is a fairly common and well-known side effect of antipsychotic medications uh, commonly used to treat disorders like schizophrenia, but increasingly given for a variety of mental health complaints, including depression. But the association with antidepressants is not as well recognized. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's not. I mean, the no one has really wanted to use the word akathisia because um, I think that it always has a negative connotation. And so I think that um, people just have felt it but they haven't had a name for it. And, it, you know, we get a lot of information from people that write in and let us know that this has been their effect. Yeah. And it resonates with them. And I, I imagine that those sorts of testimonials that you receive on a pretty regular basis are one of the many things that keeps you keep you going and doing this. Right. Um, we and it's been several years now. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we have produced two videos. And our first video, which I believe was released maybe three, four years ago, as of last night, hit the 100,000 mark. And with that 100,000 mark, many, many people write in and say, this happened to me. I didn't know it had a name. And I think it's been kind of hidden. You know, um, I think a lot of the um, pharmaceutical companies when they've talked about it, they refer to it as emotional lability. They don't really call it akathisia. And as a therapist, to me, emotional lability is you get a little moody. This is not giving, you know, someone who's non-suicidal suicidal thoughts. So I think that um, we learn a lot 
by when we speak and when we put things out there. And the people who have come into your life through this cause, many of whom have also suffered the loss of a loved one, what has that added to your life? I think what that has added to my life is the fact that it just reinforces how important our work is. In fact, two other board members came to us because they did some research um, and one doctor had said it was the worst case of athesia they had ever seen in their practice and that facilitated the daughter of the person who passed away to reach out to us. Another woman whose father had just died um, saw me on NBC5 News Investigates and was like, that happened to my father and reached out to us. So I think it's given me just so much motivation to know that we're making a difference. Um, what's even more fascinating to me is, you know, when you start out an organization in honor of someone, you know, the first few years, it's friends and family of Stuart Dolan, friends and family of the board members. But the last two or three years, I'd say at least a quarter of the people that attend our missed events are people who have heard of us and come from all over the world, literally. And because they believe this is the place where they can get some comfort and understanding as to what happened to their loved one. And what sort of frequency do you mount events like that? And and is there one coming up? Yes. Thank you. October 17th this year, we're having our annual event. And that will be at the Wintrust Grand Banking Hall on LaSalle. Um, that's the big event. But um, thanks to what's been happening, we are out there twice a month doing something incredible. Um, you know, I'm teaching classes at schools of social work, um, speaking to veterans, doing podcasts. Um, quite excitingly, this summer, um, the Royal College of Psychiatrists had invited me to attend their conference in July in London. And this attracts over 3,000 UK physicians. And after me submitting my materials, they felt that the message was so important that I'm going to be on a panel with other doctors that will be discussing drug side effects. So it's unbelievable to me the opportunities that have come from this. And you're not just involved in an education and awareness uh, campaign. You've also been involved with a, a legal battle that's gone on for, for several years. In 2017, you sued the drug manufacturer GlaxoSmithKline for product liability stating suicide risks associated with the drug, paroxetine, were concealed. A jury concluded GSK failed to properly warn of these risks and awarded you damages. An appeals court, though, overturned the ruling, and you will be petitioning the U.S. Supreme Court to review the case, or have you already? Yes. We filed in December a um, petition for the United States Supreme Court to hear our case. Um, interestingly enough, when we were overturned in the Seventh Circuit, it wasn't because they didn't, you know, were questioning, you know, what killed Stewart. It was more technicality. The issue in the lawsuit was... Who's to blame? Was it GSK or the FDA? The lower court held GSK accountable. The Seventh Circuit held FDA accountable. And because there's a split currently right now in the country 
um, we filed it to the the Supreme Court, um, which will basically be deciding mostly on whether or not, you know, who's responsible. But what has come out of this litigation has been it's given wonderful press to the word akathisia. And interestingly enough, the jurors in my lawsuit actually saw the real drug studies where mm. close to 30 people died during the drug trial and 40 people developed akathisia. And no, they did not feel the need to report this. So this has just brought up all sorts of issues. And another big issue, which the public is not aware of, is that generics in this country are protected. In other words, 85% of Americans who pretty much take generics, being older and being on Medicare, I have no choice. That's the only thing that's covered. Um, if you are killed, maimed, or anything happens to you, generics are protected. Mm. So what was significant about my jury was they looked at it in a different way. They didn't care whether Stewart was on a generic. It became a product liability case because if you lie about your product in the state of Illinois, you need to be held accountable. And I think when the jury saw the real side effects, I mean, how could you not be um, offended by that? And that's why after six weeks in a grueling trial, they sided with us. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether or not the Supreme Court takes it enough, takes, you know, here's the case, and it's a very obviously small percentage. Um, I feel gratified that this case is important enough that it even is, you know, worthy of being, you know, going to the Supreme Court. Yeah. But if they don't pick it up. It's basically done. Yeah. But I've always, in my mind, put my lawsuit in one category and the work of mist in the other. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, it will be disappointing, I'm of course. Um, I feel that it's an important issue because you're leaving Americans with no legal recourse. I mean, in our country, there's a remedy for everything. And this is a, an issue that just has no remedy. The state Supreme Courts are split. The circuits are split. And so someone has to decide on this. But the work of MIST goes on and, you know, will never stop. So late last year, MIST did a campaign to bring akathisia awareness to riders of the Chicago Transit mm -hmm. Authority trains. Uh, you've also released public service videos, created an akathisia presentation for first responders, and offer a free one-hour continuing education course. Are these all projects of the organization's Education Foundation? Yes. I mean, the main thing that we use our money for is to raise awareness. And because we have an international and national and local presence, just through talking to people, we figure out what people need. And by going to all these conferences, we have expanded the populations we work with and we're willing to go anywhere. I mean, we've done a lot of work recently with veterans because this group of returning vets or sometimes vet who, vets who haven't even seen combat are killing themselves, I'd say 22 to 23 suicides a day. 
And just recently, the um, Congress is starting to look into this and, you know, whether it will actually get some attention. But two bills have been introduced to look at the drug cocktails with veterans that are suiciding. And so um, these are the things that we do. Um, in fact, the train signage program has been immensely successful, and we just re recently authorized um, more monies to, for more train cards, and we've decided that I, I believe it's the pink line that goes out to many of the medical schools, mm. and so we are going to start a campaign that way. And what makes it an effective campaign, in your view? I think what makes it an effective campaign is that I think people can really relate to it. Um, when we just started MIST, we primarily focused on the SSRIs or antipsychotics, and through shared admits, through talking to people, we found out that this can include malarin that you take, you know, malaria pills you take when you go out of the country. It can include Shantex, the smoking cessation drug. And I think that as, since our message is broad and it's public safety directed, I think we get a great audience because people can relate to that. They know of someone who had a side effect. They personally have had a side effect. And so I think that really draws their attention. And and what about some of the other things I mentioned? For example, who is the one-hour continuing education course aimed at? Um, that was actually, I'm glad you bring that up because that um, course was actually approved by the National Association of Social Workers. We went through quite a rigmarole to get that um, you know program launched. And our one of our other current um, MISP, education projects is we are now taking that program and working with the American Medical Association to get CMEs. So this will then be available to doctors. Mm. And um, it's a wonderful tool and it's free. I mean, you go to mist.co and it's there. It's free because that's, you know, we are an education organization and this is the way we educate people. Have you encountered doubters, naysayers who? You know, that's a great question. We really haven't. If I had to look over the majority of comments we get, you know, there's a few. There's a few who, even though we say all the time we're not anti-drug, there's a few people that are worried mm. that we could possibly be discouraging people. But I can't say enough, every single solitary thing and every action of mist does not lead to an anti-drug message. In yeah. fact, articles are sent in to us that, you know, people have been really significantly hurt by a drug company and they're very angry, we don't put those articles yeah. on the MIST website. Um, the interesting thing is if we get any criticism, a lot of people blame their prescribing doctor. And our reaction to that is um, I actually saw the Dear Doctor letter that Stewart's physician received regarding Paxil where they said, you know, basically this was the next best thing since sliced white bread, and it reduced the, you know, um, risk of suicide when literally they knew 
that there was an 800% risk of suicide with their medication. So those tend to be um, the criticisms that we get mainly, and we've tried to respond to them, is in our videos, when I speak, I say you need to call your prescribing doc or go to the emergency room or you know call 911. And we get very strong reactions from some people who feel like, oh, well, all they're going to do is give me more meds. They're going to make it worse. But quite frankly, other than never taking a medication to begin with, there's really nothing else we can suggest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also part of the work that I've done with Miss, which has been very exciting, is because I'm, um, you know, an internationally recognized advocate, I've been involved with several D.C.-based um you know, safe patient awareness groups. And when I did work, uh, was asked to be part of the National Center for Health Research's training program, what was shocking to me was the nature of drug trials and how sometimes there's so few people in these drug trials and they're not followed for mm-hmm. a long time. So there's a lot of issues that are out there um, that gives you pause. So I understand you won an international award from ICEP last year. Yes, this was really exciting. I was nominated um, for this. And what it's ICEP stands for is the International Society for Ethical Psychology and Psychiatry. And they do their humanitarian slash special achievement award. And they um, gave me the award for um, akathisia. And the the awareness that I've raised internationally. So it was a very exciting award to receive. Well, congratulations. Thank you. That's Wendy Dolan in a conversation we recorded earlier this year. In a moment, we'll hear portions of a second interview recorded May 30th, 2019, where Wendy talks about what it's like for people suffering long-term akathisia, her work with veterans, and the troubling, revolving door culture of the Food and Drug Administration. If you'd like to find out more and get the best information about this important topic of akathisia, the MIST website is a great place to start. You can find it at mist.co. That's M-I-S-S-D dot C-O. If you go to our website, the section that says, What is Akathisia? You will see the two MIST videos, as well as we have an educational PDF that you can print off. We also are on Facebook and Twitter. If you like this podcast, learn more about akathisia and just send it to your contacts. And this is the way we spread our message. And I hope that people will really look at the signs and symptoms of akathisia. They're listed in the videos, listed on the website. On May 30th, Wendy Dolan was scheduled to make her second appearance on the CAN-TV program, Canines for Veterans. She invited me to join her, and before heading over to their studio, she stopped by my studio to address some important topics that hadn't come up in our first conversation. My apologies for the poor audio quality. So do you have an update on the Supreme Court? Yes, I do. On Tuesday of this week, the Supreme Court denied our appeal to be heard and also, it denied 
sending the case back down to the seventh circuit we were hopeful with a ruling that they had made on the drug fast and max which had gotten sent down to the third circuit that they would do the same for us and unfortunately they didn't so right now the case is officially dead okay and is there any recourse there or i don't know i mean we're talking my lawyers are talking about a few things but i have no idea i mean i would assume it's very very speculative if anything yeah and this just happened just happened two days ago i was really disappointed obviously because in my mind this is a common sense argument and that is if you lied about your drug and someone has an adverse drug reaction someone needs to be held accountable um from lawyers i've spoken with in our country there's recourse there's for everything that happens and yet when it comes to um drug reactions they're not held accountable and it keeps going on and on and on it's Monsanto lied about glyphosate and its safety and now we know it's a carcinogen I mean Purdue Pharmaceutical lied about the opioids saying it wasn't addictive and it was completely addictive and I could go through drug company after another Johnson and Johnson with talcum powder that's causing cervical cancer and we get this information from lawsuits where good law firms can do their research and subpoena records and so what bothers me is that the supreme court basically said it's the fda you know it's called preemption and you're leaving 85 percent of americans now without legal recourse and that's staggering so i know you have thoughts on fda composition and funding Uh, what are some of the concerns you have there i know i was surprised when you cited a statistic as to the funding mix the fda receives I would have assumed it was entirely government funded, but it's not. I find the most um, disturbing statistic about the FDA is that I thought they monitored everything. And literally, you submit a drug study trial to the FDA, and they take some time to approve it, but I thought they were a neutral body that would actually review the data And what I came to find out is whatever the pharmaceutical or device companies send them, they're basing their rulings on that. And in the case of my case, we found out that they had lied about the um, problem with suicides over the age of 24. They weren't up to the age of 24, but then they stopped at 24, even though people died during my drug trial, the drug trial for Paxil, and people became acathasic and they never bothered to report it to the FDA. Hmm. The other interesting dynamic is what they call the revolving door policy, that um, people who work for the FDA go to work for Big Pharma, and then Big Pharma goes to work for FDA. So you literally aren't getting any kind of what I consider objective information. I think the other big thing that's disturbing to me, and I think um, this is something that's bothered me, is Stewart took generic Paxil called paroxetine. And what came out in our pre-trial motions is that even though GSK, the maker of Paxil, had created the label, they did all the studies, 
the fact that Stewart took paroxetine, which is the generic, this is how the argument went. GSK said, we didn't manufacture the generic. And then the um, generic company goes, well, we're just following your your formula and then the FDA seems to be supposed to be monitoring things and there's this whole back and forth as to who's really responsible for changing the label and meanwhile nothing gets done. Yeah. So there's another group of people uh, that we haven't talked about yet, uh, those being people who suffer the effects of akathisia uh, and don't take their lives. Uh, There is a missed video that shows two of them in states of great distress what is life like for people suffering chronic akathisia? Well, that's a great question. Um, actually, it's very interesting. When I first started MIST, I was pretty much focused on just what the um, akathisia that had an instant onset. But then through our work and everybody writing in, we found out that this was chronic. It could go on for years or permanently. And I think what what people write in is just the inability to be still and pacing and tapping and rocking back and forth and they not get comfortable and then the internal you know torture I mean that you know that breaks my heart you know um, people describe it as in our other video you know that their brains on fire their tongue feels like they're sucking on a battery and I think it's it's really really tragic. I mean, when you talk to people who have, you get what they how they describe it. I mean, if your viewers are interested, if you go to the, any of the two akathisia videos, there's comments from people who have written in, and and their internal experiences are awful. Yeah. So later today, we're going to head uh, to Can TV for an event you're doing with veterans. Uh, what is the story of your becoming involved with the veterans you work with? And how do military service and akathisia typically intersect? I would imagine PTSD and post-op recovery are a couple of leading reasons why former military personnel become medicated. I became aware of the problem with over-medication of the military when very, very early on, when MIST did their Out of the Darkness walk. At that time, we had t-shirts with our logo on the front and the definition of akathisia on the back. And inevitably, during that walk, people kept tapping me, and they were inevitably military people, and said, I never knew it had a name. I um, didn't know what this was about, and that's what happened to my loved one. And we started to, well, and then all of a sudden, around that time, they were doing a lot of stories in the news about suicides in the military, and I had read an article, I believe in Military Times, where it talked about this was the most highly medicated group of veterans coming back from war. And their suicide rates to today are still 20 to 22 a day. And so we decided that this was a very important population. So we put resources towards going to, um, I forget the acronym, but it's the, um, the physicians, Army Physicians Convention, and we went to um, D.C., we went to Virginia, and ironically, one of our board members knows the founder of Canines for Veterans, Mike Tellerino, and I met with them, and we you know, heard their stories, and then I also spoke 
at one of their events, um, You'll Never Walk Alone. And again, everybody kept coming up to me. I, I knew this was a problem. I didn't know it had a name. And so Mike and I did our first show just introducing um, their viewers to what is akathisia. And then this show tonight will be further discussions of what is akathisia. And also, there's been some interesting um, legislation out there where we're hoping that could make a difference. I think what's tricky about this is, yes, veterans have PTSD. They have trouble adapting to civilian life. There's guilt. There's multiple deployments. There's multiple reasons why they are having struggles. But what I find staggering is no one has yet done the correlation between medications and suicide. So this new bill that I'll be talking about tonight actually is um, the second bill that's just been introduced but not, not no action yet where they're, the VA is finally saying what drugs were they on, how long were they on them, what were their combos. And the other staggering statistic about the military is I met vets who came up to me at these events and talked to me. Some One person was on 18 drugs. Hmm. You know, and there's this, pers- and the problem is VA services are limited and so they're given three months cocktails of drug with no in-between and what ends up happening is they take the medication. They're not feeling great. So most doctors up the dosage. Then after that, they introduce another drug to kind of counteract that. And then if you are having pain from your injuries, you're on Neurontin. That leads to su- can lead to suicide. So you get these multiple cocktails with lack of regulation. And um, you know we hope to raise awareness. So this is a bill that's been introduced in the House in D.C.? Yes. I mean, there were two bills. There was H.R. 4640 that was introduced in 2016, and it still says introduced if you look up the bill. And then in January of this year, another bill was introduced. I believe it's um, Veterans Over Medication and Suicide. So there seems to be an awareness now that this is could be a contributing factor but whether or not any action is taken on it, I have no idea. And that bill is H.R. 100, the Veteran Overmedication and Suicide Prevention Act of 2019, sponsored by Florida Republican Representative Vern Buchanan. The House Veterans Affairs Subcommittee on Health held a hearing on the bill at the end of April. No action has since been taken on the proposed legislation. If you'd like to learn more about the bill, please visit congress.gov. And if you'd like to contact your House representative, the bill again is H.R. 100. You've been listening to the Akathisia Stories podcast. We'll have another episode next month. If you'd like to share your own story for this podcast, please email studio.c.chicago at gmail.com. And please share this podcast and subscribe. I'm Andy Miles, and I'd like to thank Wendy Dolan for her time and candor, and I'd like to thank you for listening.